Do you mean 20? I'll let you know the I'm sorry? Paragraph is 23, 25. Well, okay, I'm looking at the top page numbers. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And the, we're only oh, yeah. in, in paragraph on the top page numbers are on page 20. We're sort of like in the middle of the flow of things, but um, let's, uh, you know, let's start from uh, seven lines from the top. The line starts with the word chulu, or chav vav in an apostrophe, and then v'chein kol adiburim v'chol ha-machshoves. Do we have it? Mm-hmm. Anybody looking for it and doesn't have it yet? No. no. Okay. What's uh, some background? What's going on here? So um, this is the middle of the flow. Let's let's uh, very very quick. The Altarebbe first taught us about the nefesh alikis, the godly soul that there is in every yid. Every yid is a part of Hashem within him that makes him a yid. And we talked about the build of the godly soul. We talked about the. Um, talk about the essence of the soul, a part of Hashem, the development of the soul, why we have different types of people. We talked about the garments of the soul. Okay, two points. For who remembers, what are the garments of the soul? Ari? The, what they are. Is yes. That? What are the three garments of the soul? I don't know. You're being recorded. Be careful. What? No? Thought, speech, and action. Thought, speech, and deed. Machshava, Dibur, and Maisa. Those are the three expressions, basically through which we do the mitzvahs. Right? I mean, we can have a wonderful godly soul, but the actual mitzvahs are performed through action, or through speech, or through thought. Okay, so that we discuss the garments, then we discuss the connection to Hashem through Torah, through mitzvahs. That was all the godly soul. So we spent a number of chapters um, explaining the godly soul, its build, its make, its makeup, and, and how, we, how it functions. And then, in the beginning of this chapter, we move on to the other soul, which is called the animal soul, within ourselves. Uh, it's important always to say animal soul is not, it's not, ba- it's not bad. Animals aren't bad. Um, it's just animalistic. It's not godly. It's not into doing and connecting to Hashem. It's into taking care of me, taking care of my needs, my desires, what I like, what I want. That's what the animal soul is. And anything that's just about me, about making sure that I'm happy, making sure that I feel good, is ultimately not godly. It's up to us to transform things into godliness. But when things are just done for just to fill my desire, make me feel good, then it's not God. That's the basic idea of the animal soul. But that's what we're in the middle of discussing in this period. So again, let's read from, again, I'm starting on page 20, in the top of the page, number 20. I think it's seven lines from the top, or eight lines from the top. Seven. The word starts with And it says, All different, all talk and thoughts, Asher loyla Hashem heima. That are not connected to Hashem to the fulfillment of Hashem's will to Hashem's service. Uh, service. This is what Sitra Achara means. Shalom Aleichem. What's your name? Aaron. Aaron. Aaron what? Aaron Achara. So that is what the word Sitra Achara means. And what is Sitra Achra in simple? Uh, sitra Achra is Aramaic, means the other side. The side that's not Kedusha, not connected to Hashem. Pirush, meaning Tzad Achra, the other side, She'enu Tzad Akdusha, that's not directly connected to Kedusha, which is most of life, right? Most of life that we do, that we're involved with, is not innately godly, right? We sleep and we eat and we have fun and we go to work and we go to exercise, whatever it is, we socialize. Most of what we do is not naturally holy. It's naturally natural. It's physical, it's material, it's animalistic. 
Tzadak Dusha, the side of holiness, Eimei Elo Hashro Vahamshocha Mikdusha Seishala Kodesh Baruch When is something holy? When we talk about holiness versus non-holiness, holiness is that where Hashem can be found, where Hashem rests. Ve'eina Kodesh Baruch Hu Sheire Ela Aldover Shebatul Etzlo Yisbarich where does Hashem rest? On something that's willing to nullify themselves to Him. Something that's willing to think beyond themselves and think about something bigger than myself. That's really what holiness is. To be able to go out of myself and think about something greater, something bigger. It's not just about me having a good time. It's not just about, um, about feeling good with myself or for myself, but to go out of myself. It says, whether one is actually involved in being totally nullified to Hashem, like the supernal angels, which are always in the state of bittel, which are always in the state of bittel to Hashem, the state of nullification to Hashem, or something that's in potential bittel to Hashem. What's something that's always potentially nullified to Hashem? A person, a yid. Every Yid always has the potential to give it all for Hashem. And whether a Yid is very from, or half from, or a third from, or not from, every Yid has that somewhere inside of him, and that ability to turn it all around. And that's why you have so many Yidin, and so many stories of people that maybe for years and years and years everything lays dormant, and one day it just flickers up before it comes out. And that's a, that's a tremendous testament to the fact that a Yid, even if he's not acting in a way that's bottle to Hashem, but within the year, there's that potential always for the neshama to flare up, become revealed, and, and in this tremendous way, just, just uh, show his connection to Hashem. Are we saying that now, at this point, that he already is Tzadik? The Shari is Bikayak Tzadik. Being that a year, his potential to battle Hashem, so therefore there's always a Hashra of Kedusha and a year. No matter what. No matter what. Now, when he's going to bring it out, Bepayel then that, that, that Ashra is also going to come out of the pile. In other words, when he's going to actually express his his to Hashem, that's when Hashem will sort of take over. But a Yid, even when a Yid is so estranged and so far, there's still something there. And because of that, he's always a vessel for Hashem. I, 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 maybe I've shared with you, I like saying the story, it's just it's a, a special story I heard a couple of years ago here from Rabbi Aaron Wolf. Many of you know, everyone knows Aaron Wolf. So he has the... Uh, it's called Chicago Mitzvah Campaign. He's involved in nursing homes and hospitals and so on. So he gets one time a call, and I heard this from him personally. He gets a call. Um, some guys are coming, they're calling, they want to talk about, um, let's see, do burials, they want to talk about, arrange a burial for their father. So he says, fine. That's the first question. He says, uh, you know, when did he pass away? He says, well, he didn't pass away yet, but um, he's, you know, he's in a coma, he's going to pass away soon. So he says, you know what, we don't deal with burials until after a person passes away. Um, when he'll, uh, you know, you know, I'll come to the hospital. I'll sit with you and we'll talk. But the burials we'll deal for, you know, we'll leave for afterwards. Comes to the hospital and he meets their son, this guy, and the son says, you know, it's it's an interesting thing. You know, my father, he's in and out of a coma, and just like a few hours ago, he like opened his eyes, and he says, you know, I never had a bar mitzvah, and then he lapsed back into his coma. This man, the man's, uh, I don't know, over eighty years old. So they asked the rabbi, he said, what would, it, what would that mean? How, how would he have, you know, how, how do you have a bar mitzvah, especially if you're 80-something years old? He says, well, really, what it is is he would put on tefillin. So they say, is he too old? Can we put it on now? 
He says, yeah, as long as he's alive, he can put on tefillin. So he says, okay, let's do it. He says, yeah, but the problem is it's night now. You know, we can't put on tefillin by night, so we'll have to wait till the morning. So they said, he's not going to be alive in the morning. The doctors gave him an hour, two hours. He's finished. He can't wait till the morning. So he says, listen, I can't make that determination. I don't know. But tefillin you can't put on by night. I'll put, say, let's say like this. I'm going to set my alarm for, what, 4.45 or something in the morning. If he's still alive, call me. I'll, I'll, I'll come over and I'll do what we can. So, and he went back home and he did that. And they called him at 4.45 a.m. and said, you know what? He's alive. Not just alive. He's sort of drifting into consciousness again. So he, you know, he was down by, that, by 5 o'clock in the morning or 5.10. He was at the hospital. And this guy was semi-up. And they asked him, you know, Dad, the rabbi's here. Do you want to put on tefillin? And he like, he, as much as he could, he shook his hand. He, he, had, he showed his consent. And said, so the rabbi and the doctor and the son gingerly picked up his hand and they put on tefillin on this man the first time in his life. And then he stayed a little longer. He lapsed back into unconsciousness. A couple hours later, they called up Rabbi Wolf and they said, you know, our father passed away. But before he passed away, again, he opened his eyes and he had a smile on his face. And he says, so I was bar mitzvah. And then, he, and then he passed away. Now, this person lived here in West Rogers Park. He had shuls around his house for 70 years that he can go and put on tefillin and do and He never did. And on his deathbed, he had that desire. It's a, it's a maisa, you know, everyone has their maisa, but this is a maisa I heard from him here, must have been three years ago. The maisa that talks about how every yid has that, that connection to Hashem, whether it's in a most revealed state, that every day he goes to shul and puts on tefillin and davens and, and learns Torah. Or it doesn't happen every day, it happens once a week. Or it happens once in a lifetime. But it's there. There's something there that that's that shame that connects us back over 3,000 years. That the reason why we're still, we're this, this crazy nation that's around 3,500 years after it began. You know, without a homeland being persecuted. Because there's that part of Kedusha within every yid. That's, that's always ready to flare up. And that's what he says here. So he says, when it comes to Kedusha. Hashem rests either on something that's actually in a clear way connected to Him or something that at least has that potential. So in a potential state, so Hashem is always there on some level. This is why, why our teachers of blessed memory have told us that even one person who's involved in who's sitting and studying Torah the Shechina, the Divine Presence, rests on Him. Every ten yidin again together, Hashem rests there in a way of permanence. Because, because see here, if you notice, it's interesting, these two statements of Chazal. The first one talks about when one person is actually involved in studying Torah. That's a person who is involved in doing a mitzvah. Then it talks about ten yidin who get together. Here's a mistake that some people make. People think ten people get together, the Kedusha is there when you daven with a minion. But that's a mistake. When ten neshamas get together, even if they're just sitting and uh, talking Irishkeit, the shechina is there. Because the fact that ten yidin together bring about a shechina is just by the fact that there's ten neshamas in the room. So this is the various ways that Hashem rests among an, an a yid, on a person, on yidin when they come together. It says, Avel, however, kol ma she'enoi botel Anything that's not bottled to Hashem, anything that's not in any, it's not um, given over, it's not nullified to Hashem. Elhudavar nifred Anything that feels or seems like a total independent entity from Hashem. 
and I, again, I want to um, I want to emphasize not necessarily averus, but any type of a, any conversation or anything that we do that has no godly relationship. It's just it's just for fun. It's just to have a good time without any positive cause or motive. So does not receive its energy from the holiness of Hashem. From the internal levels of holiness and the essential levels of holiness, in its honor and glory. Rather, in a backhanded type of a way. This is a, an important concept in Kabbalah and Chesidus that Hashem has two basic ways how Hashem gives His energy. Because ultimately, we know, and a basic part of our belief is that everything receives our energy from Hashem. Even things that are totally anti-God, even things that are sins and averis. Hashem is the only creator. We don't have different forces in our creation. The basic, basics of our belief of Achdus Hashem, that everything comes from Hashem. So what's the difference between the energy Hashem gives to a place of holiness or an act of holiness versus the energy Hashem gives to a place of anti-holiness? What's the, what's the chilek? What's the difference? In other religions, the concept of the sources of good and sources of bad, different sources, different energies. But the basic, the basic mitzvah of, of Hashem Echad is we believe there's in different sources. There's one source for everything. We get the story of the, uh, the Jewish guy who's not from or whatever, and he sent his kids to school. And then, as um, you heard, there's a good math program in a Christian place. He sent them there also, what does he care, as long as he's getting a good math, math program. The kid comes home from school. And he starts talking about, oh, you know, I heard there's a Holy Trinity, there's a Father and a Spirit, and a this and a Holy that. Now the Father's getting edgy. He says, listen, son, he says, I want you to understand this. There's one God, and we don't believe in Him. He says, we don't believe in Him, but there's only one. There's only an Irish guy, about three. <laughs> in Yiddish guy, there's one source. So if there's one source, so what's the difference? How does Hashem give His chayis, His energy to Kedusha versus how He gives it to Klippa? So one is called the, hash, the way He gives it in a way of Panim, literally from the face, or Ma'achar from the back. What's the difference when we give something with our facial features, we give something from the back? This is again a common phrase in Chassidus. Pnimius or Achuraim? Panim or Achir? So the, the desire says, is sometimes you have to give something to an enemy. You have to give it to him. So how do you give it to him? It says, Kiman, you throw it over your shoulder. What's the difference if, if I give you something when I'm facing you or not facing you? A thought, someone. When you want to, when you don't. I know, but what does it do with the face? Connection. In the face, there's a connection. You see my features, my facial features, my eyes, I'm looking at you. The back, there's nothing there, right? You can't see the person. I'm not giving you my, inter- my feelings, my connection. There's nothing there. It's like a shadow of you. Of yeah, sometimes I have to give. I, I, you know, I'm forced to give someone something. But I don't want to give it to that person. I don't care for that person. But I have to give it. So Hashem, in his relationship to this world, there is what Hashem gives in places that he feels comfortable, that he desires, that he wants, places that are places of Kedusha. And, yeah, and then Hashem gives to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world, the rest of the world, even that world which is against Kedusha, Hashem obviously wills it to be, but not because he really wants it, because he has some type of ulterior motive where he wants to head from that. So that's what he says that anything that's not Kedusha receives in a way of Achurayim Sheyerdim Mimadregele Madrega. This goes down from level to level. Revolves Madregas, tens of thousands of levels, Bishtal Shalusa Ilumas, and the chains of creation. 
derech ilo va'olul through cause and effect, v'tzimtzumim rabim and many different types of contractions. Add to the extent shenismayit kolkach ha'ir v'hachayis to the extent that the light and the energy is so uh, lessened. Miut achar miut, lessening after lessening, achiyochel liistzansim ulihislabish to the point that it can contract and be enclosed bebchinas golus in an exile. Toich oisei dover hanifrad lach yosei lekaime. In that thing which is, which it seems to be independent from Hashem, and nevertheless Hashem's chayis gives it energy and gives it its its existence. Meayin liyesh in a way from nothing to something. We believe that everything has to constantly be created. So here you have this this thing that's repulsive to Hashem. Something that's a, this, the, an article of sin and of, of this vulgarness and against Hashem. And yet, there's an energy of Hashem within it, contracted and contracted, giving it its energy. That's what's going on in most of this world. Most of this world is things that are not clearly or directly connected to that which is godly. And nevertheless, there's, there's godly energy everywhere. Let's finish the idea. That's why this world is called the world of klipa. What does the word klipa mean? Is that something we discussed? What does the actual word mean? Shell. A shell. Why is, the, why is the, all of the impurities of this world called a shell? Because it covers over the godliness that's inside of it. So it's called the world of klipa v'sitra achra. That's why the Arizal writes that this world is a difficult world and this world is a world that the wicked many times are very successful. As the Arizal explains all of this in his book, in his work of Eitzchayim. Doesn't seem so bad. What doesn't seem bad? I'm saying, as long as you're getting, it's like, who cares how you are yet? But I'm saying, it seems pretty cool. Like you just, what's the difference? So we, uh... Explain, explain the question. Um, I'm hungry. I don't care, I'm a prisoner of war. The guy, the guard threw me backwards or forwards. Oh, he doesn't like me. So, I got exactly what I want. I don't even appreciate where it comes from. I don't see God. So he doesn't like me. So I'm evil. I'd rather be evil. And receive. And receive and be the ruler. It's better. Prefer it. So what's the difference? So he's asking, he's asking a question. Not, he's not just asking to me. Everyone can... Uh, yeah, oh yeah. Like what's the difference? What's the difference? You have... Uh, let's talk about... <laughs> let's talk about a child. Let's talk about a child. A child and a parent. A child can sometimes get something from the parent. You know, just uh, pull it out somehow. You know, it can, it can, uh, some children especially, are especially good at it. Um, it can be called manipulative, whatever. I, I get, I get what I want. I get what I need at the end. There's no relationship. There's no relationship. There's no loving, warm relationship. But I, I got what I need. Or it could be a child. It could be a, it could be, um, it could be a spouse. It could be in any relationship. It could be a good friend. In any relationship, I can get what I need out of that relationship. And I, I walk away with my candy or my car or my money or whatever, and I got what I need. Or it could be an invested relationship, really a real relationship. That's not a relationship, we all understand. 
when I get what I need out of a relationship, that's not a relationship. That's me. I, I took care of myself. And then there's the beauty of a relationship. Imagine you have two people talking, and one person enjoys a real, meaningful, true relationship. And a true relationship, you don't always get what you want, because a true relationship is about giving. I give, I get, a true relationship. And the other one has a non-true relationship, but I always get what I want. I'm able to get my way, I get what I want, I get what I have. Which person is better off? The one that doesn't have a relationship but gets what they get, they get their way? Or the one who has a relationship? It depends what you're talking about, short term or long term. Excellent. Continue. Short term, which one's better? Probably the person, oh, how do you phrase it? But the first time. I get what I need. Yeah, he gets what he wants when he wants it. I get what I want. So right now I need take a take a you know that spoiled child or that um, selfish um, spouse or whatever it is. I get what I need. I get it now and I get it this. But there's nothing real there. There's nothing real. There's nothing meaningful. Uh, in a way, I might get things faster. I might get more even. Sometimes the spoiled child, because they're so good at it, can get more than the good child. But they got something that they needed and they sacrificed a real relationship. Love, meaning, caring, right? All of that. But I, but I, got, I got what I needed right now, right? I just, just today I heard a nice video clip of, I'm sure you've heard of Abraham Tversky from Pittsburgh. So just today someone sent me just a nice clip. And he's, maybe you've heard it, but he says, um, someone sees someone eating fish. He says, why eating fish? He says, because I love fish. He says, you love fish? Right. That's why you killed it, boiled it, cut it to a million pieces and ate it. You don't love fish. You love yourself. You're using fish to fill your love. It's a good part. He says, you don't love fish at all. If you love fish, you'd be, the fish would be swimming. You don't love fish. You love yourself. And the fish can help you find that love that you're looking for, that gratification. He says, in life, the same thing is all over. So many times we say, I love someone or something. Do we love that person or thing? Or do we love the feeling that they give me? Right? I, many times in a relationship, in a non-healthy relationship, what's really going on is, I'm looking for gratification. Where am I going to find that? That person can make me gratified. I don't know how. uh, Emotionally, physically, spiritually, monetarily, whatever it is. I'm using someone for me. I don't love that person. I love me. We have to rephrase things. When I say I love fish, that's not true. I love myself. And fish happen to be something that make me feel good. And I love feeling good. It's a a good verb. It's a good verb. So the same thing is over here. You ask the question. I can live a whole life and I can get what I need. Who needs Hashem? Hashem is giving it anyway. He's the provider. I have access to his bank account. I have access to Hashem's bank account. And whether he likes it or not, I can swipe the card and pull out and I can have a car and I can do this. So that's like the spoiled child who can't understand why the, 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 um, why the, the I, don't, I don't know what's the word for not spoiled, but the, the, the regular child. Like, why aren't you being like me? What do you have from that relationship? And the spoiled child doesn't understand that the spoiled child has no relationship. I'm just, yeah, you said excellently, short term, right now I have what I need. I have my car. I have my this. I have my that. But I've sacrificed the meaning relationship 
with the meaningful relationship, with that which is bigger than me, greater than me, my creator, my father, where I come from. I don't have any of that. I have one thing, myself, my needs, and my gratifications. I hope to get them. I hope as long as it lasts, I'll have it. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question, but it's something we have to think about. If life is only about how much can I, you know, how many toys can I get, then you're right. What's the best way for me to get the toys? Who cares about where, from who, and ponim, and achir, is he going to give it to me in a loving way, is he going to give it to me over shoulders? I got my toys. So if life is about building my bank account, then you're right. Whichever way builds it best, that's what it's about. But if there's something more meaningful, if there's something about a relationship, something bigger than me that I'm trying to connect to, Something, something more than just self-gratification about life. Like, why should one sacrifice for a relationship? Let me just take care of myself. But the beauty of relationship and the meaningfulness of it and the meaningful it gives to me and someone caring for me and me caring for someone else is worth so much more than the monetary, or I'm sorry, the momentary gratifications of I got what I needed. Is that was your question at all? Yeah. Good. Not to say that it's still not a question that we all think about sometimes. Because sometimes we just want that, that momentary gratification. But many times it becomes a question, what am I going to go for? Short term or long term? Momentary gratification or a meaningful relationship? And by the way, this, this, is, this is not just about us and Hashem. This is in every relationship of life. There's momentary gratification, there's real relationship. There's real commitment. Commitment comes along with sacrifice. But a sacrifice that's so worth it in the long run, because then there's a real relationship, loving relationship. What, like, what would be an example of Facetus where a momentary, um, you know, something that felt good in the moment was okay? And not where, like, someone needs, you know, a timeout in a relationship in any other space. I'm talking, like, you know, you want to take a shower because it feels good or something. Is there ever a time, you know, I don't know. No, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, and I want to point out, when you say time out in a relationship, taking a shower is very, very important. It's great. But if time out is something that's detrimental to the relationship, then it's not okay in a real relationship. Right? So we have to know what's... In other words, time out is also within the framework of a relationship. You understand? Let's, you know, if, if a... Chamra uh, I'm sorry? Exactly. Actually, in the next in the next paragraph, he's going to be talking about that, which is, you know, Hashem doesn't want us to be angels. Hashem doesn't want us not to have a good time. There's eat gezum to hate and enjoy eating and, and enjoy playing, enjoy doing with you whatever you want to do. But Hashem gives the framework of what's okay and what's not okay. So if I uh, want to have time out, um, if I want to have a time out in a relationship. There's, it's also within the framework that the relationship allows for it. And in a healthy relationship, my partner is going to tell me, take time out. Take a breather. But within the framework of our relationship. Okay. Don't take a time out that's going to break our relationship. Because then, that, then that's the end. Now who decides that? Is it, is it ultimately the partners or is it a third party? Like a, I don't know, a mashbir or something. So that's a good question. That's a great question. Well, the, the two partners are going to have to decide what's the framework of their relationship. So if, if, if let's say, if we're both Torah observant, and the Torah is the one that we're going to use to create our home and our life together, so the Torah is going to define what is a timeout that's appropriate in a relationship and what's not. 
But I, I want to I say, because you're bringing up a very good point, a relationship that doesn't allow for time out becomes stifling. And then it's not a relationship. Then, then it's just, then it's hostile. So you need your space. And everyone is, and Hashem gives us so much space. It's not like, you know, He says, there's mitzvahs. I want you to do. He says, there's certain averas. I don't want you to do. Period. But then there's the rest of the day. Most of our life is not doing mitzvahs or averas. Think about it. In quantity of time. How much time of our day are we doing mitzvahs? Even if I'm 100% from and I do all my mitzvahs. How much time in the 24-hour period of a day am I doing mitzvahs? Anyone? Who? You or most of us? Most Maybe people. Three times a day, right? Whatever. I dive in and I learn some Torah and I put on tefillin. Okay. I mean, for, I'm, I just, that's my job. Okay. So I'm not part of it. That's, that's my job. But, but a regular person goes to work and he's, and, I mean, and, and even a person in yeshiva. How many times time is he sleeping and eating and, and, and whatever? You know, most of our day is not mitzvahs. And most of our time is hopefully not averas. But if you're not being selfish and you think of others, isn't that a mitzvah? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I'm going to work. A lot of it is the mindset, isn't it, also? It's what I'm doing it for. But so, like, even, like, let's say you're going out. You're, you're, you're getting away from your wife for a little bit. Right. You're either going out because, like, I've had enough, I can't deal with this more, or you're going out with the mindset... I'm gonna go to get a breather so it could, you know, so it could enhance it in the future. Right. So same thing. Like if, like, you know, let's say you want to like go to the beach for a day. Do you want to just? Do you want to just get away, or do you want to go to get a breather so you could, you know, so you, you know, to get like a fresh mind so you could continue yeah. to work on getting closer to Asha. And that's correct. And that's correct. And and that's why it's uh, the Rambam says, not just Rambam. It says there's a concept that a person, his entire life can be a holy life. Even though he spends plenty of time eating, plenty of time sleeping, plenty of time socializing, plenty of time working. But if it's all, in the, if it's all for the relationship, then it's all good. Do you feel that's like too intense? Like for when you're eating, you know, I know I've heard before people say like, you know, I'm eating for the, you know, so I'll have strength to learn. You know, there's... No, but I'm saying, is that a good... really does sometimes. <laughs> what is that? Yasef Pazin. It's very literal. It's very hard. I like... So, the, the, you know, there's, there's actually saying, right now I'm eating this to learn, and there's the general mindset. When the general mindset is that way, it's not about, uh-oh, this is for my learning, and that's for my davening, and this is to put on tefillin, and that's to, to give tzedakah. Right? It's more of a mindset of what... I, I live a life with the general meaning. And everything sort of fits into that. So therefore, I have my places that I don't go there, like those things that break relationships, that are not okay even for a breather. And then there's the rest of my day. So there's my mitzvah hour, my davening hour. There's my averas that I try to stay away from. And then there is the rest of the day that's all in the framework of trying to be a wholesome, healthy, good person, productive person. I go to work. And work is work, and I, there's a lot going on in work, and I'm competitive, and I want to do well. But from that work, I'm going to give some money to tzedakah. I'm, God willing, going to build a family, and I'll be able to um, support people and, and, and help for their chinuch, and so on and so forth. So suddenly, the whole work becomes, it's all within the framework of my relationship to Hashem. Does that mean every half hour by work, I'm thinking, okay, I'm doing this deal for Hashem? I don't think so. But it's part of the framework of a bigger relationship that I have with Hashem. And basically what I'm then doing is everything is becoming part of that relationship.
You know, in, in, in marriage, and you know, I, I don't know where everyone around this table is, people married, not married, but marriage is the most basic relationship that, of this world. And in marriage, am I whole time thinking about my wife, my wife, my, wife, my husband, I'm doing this wrong, I'm doing this wrong? Of course not. I mean, not if you're normal anyway, maybe the first week of your marriage, but not after that. You know, you're alive and she's alive and everyone has their own life and everyone's doing things, but there's a basic healthy relationship. It's not like, L'shem, I'm going to eat and I'll shame my wife. No, ridiculous. But it's, it's just healthy. It's within the framework of a healthy relationship. And I'm married. That's it. I'm just married is who I am throughout the day. That's who I am. And a Yid who has that relationship with Hashem has that basic framework to everything. And again, I, I, I know I'm being repetitious. There's my mitzvah times when I'm focused on that. There's the Averas I try to stay away from. And there's the rest of life which is the majority of life. The majority of life is within a framework, and it's the mindset, as you said. And it shouldn't be stifling, and it shouldn't be about, like, oh, I'm doing this for Hashem, I'm doing that for Hashem, but it's the basic framework. Yeah. That's interesting. Whereas, like, I, I always know I'm, I'm married, I always, even though I'm not thinking about it, as opposed to, sometimes I'm not, I'm not I don't know I'm a, I don't know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, Jew, I'm a firm Jew. Like, uh, and then you have to. Like, then there are days that you, even though you're doing. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. You always know that you're married. I always know I'm married. Even though you're not thinking about, it, all not day, thinking about it. You're when you're at work. You're doing exactly. what you got to do. But if I'm but like it's vacation, who I am. right? On vacation, flip flops, and bathing suit the whole day. Like you forget you're a firm Jew sometimes, as opposed to sometimes where I'm like I'm just for me. Like when I'm dressed, uh, like even when I'm doing everything, I know it like helps me. With, like when I wear, where I, you know, it helps. It helps. It definitely helps. It definitely helps. But ideally, that same feeling that you have, that you know that you're married, even when you're not consciously involved in it, Correct. and even when you're not consciously doing anything for it, you're just working. Like, there's 20 people doing the same office, they're not married, you're doing exactly the same thing, but you're a married person, right. ideally that's what you should feel with Hashem. Right. You always feels I'm married. Now, does that mean right now I'm doing something for Hashem? Actually, no. Right now I'm, I'm doing whatever I'm supposed to be doing. But who am I? This is who I am, and this is part of my relationship. And obviously, the more spiritual a person is, the more that's going to be consciously felt. Yeah. You know, and the biggest sadik will be even more. But the basic idea is, that's who I am. I'm a married person. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a related person. And really, all this goes back to your question. It's not just about what I got out of it. Right. You know, you know Baruch Hashem, there's God in the world, and he has a lot of money in his bank account, and I just want to, I want to, I want to be on the receiving end of it. It's not about that. I have a question. Yeah. But it's kind of off track. It's um. Let you know. Huh? <laughs> <If> you go <laughs> no, too far off. Like way too far. It's just like it's been swimming in my head. But does Torah believe in, um, or what's Torah's take on what goes around comes around, whether it's something good or something bad? And then my other part of the question was, how should someone deal with that? You know, like should it be a feeling of, of guilt? Like oh no, I did something bad and. This is why this and this is happening to me. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it definitely makes sense. Oh, okay. Okay, we don't know exactly how things work. As far as, you know, what goes around comes around, like, because I did A, so therefore A is going to come back to me over the head. We don't, you know, we don't carry the... Uh, we don't make the, uh, what's the, word, the the calculations. Hashem makes the calculations. I mean, obviously there's something called consequences, and sometimes we do things and we're, that are hurtful to ourselves ultimately. 
Um, and, you know, an adult has to bear the consequences sometimes. But exactly why something comes to me and when something comes to me, we don't always know the answer. And it's not really, I would think it's not a healthy pursuit of trying to think, you know, this happened to me because I did that. If that's what you're referring to. Yeah, and then therefore I should get tzedakah or right. do well, that. Giving tzedakah never hurt anybody. Right, I'm <laughs> saying, like the whole the, the chain of events where... In other words, we believe... It's almost like a confession. Put it like this. We believe that everything we do goes somewhere. In other words, nothing gets lost. Every mitzvah, every good deed we do, we do creates positive energy. Every negative thing creates a negative energy. Now, exactly what came around to hit me where and when, I don't think that a regular person knows these things. Uh, sometimes it's very evident. Sometimes I did something and I was hurt by that thing actually. That's called you know, bearing the brunt of a consequence. But you know, there's people who say, you know why that happened to that person? Because that person um, talked Lush and Hara. So that's why he got into a car accident, right? He's talking Lush and Hara, and then as he was talking, he got into a car accident. So for sure, there was connected. We don't know that. You know, we're, I don't think we're wise enough, spiritual enough to know, to, to know how Hashem connects things and what leads to what. There's definitely you know, good energy. That but at the same time, we energy. know that what we do is meaningful and has consequence. See, yeah. we, we believe a lot in our own power, that what we do means something, carries weight. So if we do a mitzvah, it carries positive weight. If we do an avira, it carries negative weight. And it's there. Now, what it's going to do and when and how, we don't know. But mitzvahs are positive weight. Negative actions are negative weight. However, there's a big difference between mitzvahs and averas. Even though they both carry weight, there's one huge difference. Anyone? Mitzvahs carry weight. Averas carry weight. Mitzvahs carry positive weight. Averas carry negative weight. And they all have something that exists. But what's the difference? Mitzvahs have a permanent change. One is permanent and one can be wiped away. And that's a huge difference. Tanya says, every mitzvah that we do is everlasting. That positive thing, we can stand on our head and scream, I, I regret having, having done that mitzvah. It was a bad minute. I didn't want to do the mitzvah. It was a total mistake. Hashem, cancel that mitzvah. Every mitzvah that we do is permanent. Connects to Hashem in a permanent way. And connects to us permanently. Averas are powerful and weighty and heavy and troublesome. But they can be wiped away. And that's the great thing, that I, the greatest gift Hashem gave us, perhaps. Now, when and how? I'm thinking Yom Kippur, right? Not just Yom Kippur. No. We can do tshuva every day. And you can do tshuva on your own. Yes. Yes. I mean, you can never cancel out a mitzvah. You, don't you can. can. Cancel out a mitzvah. Yeah. What is that? Turn the I mean, I, I, I take small fees, but aside <laughs> from that... <laughs> like you're I like to. I like to. In my own head, I like to think that I better be careful with my averas because of what could possibly come from them. Do you think that's okay? To, yeah, for sure, that's okay. That's not being like too hard on myself. Yeah. Averas are going to bear negative weight on me. I'm just saying we don't know exactly in what way, but for sure, you know, there's a very basic fact: avera gorreras avera. What does that mean? When I do one sin, that, that leads me to the next. Why? Because I just strengthened a negative energy within me. So next time around, that side is a little stronger. You know, that's, it's a very natural thing. I brought something negative in, it's going to have negative power. So tomorrow, it's there. Yeah, but the thing is, even an Avera is, is, an, is not even bad, it's an investment. I mean, the, that's the whole point of creation. Like, if we, if we were just Malachim, we didn't, wouldn't, 
the whole point of an Avera is that we're human and that we do an Avera and we can do the, have the point of Tshuva. If we didn't have Averas, didn't have Tshuva, we wouldn't be able to get any higher. Okay. Okay. So even when you do an Avera, it's, we it's, could it's do an tshuva. investment in good if you're aware of it. And that's true. That's true. Averas can be canceled. You know, the, 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 we just had in the Parsha a couple of Parshas ago, the Jewish people had a... Uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean you should go do it. <laughs> He's putting a positive, positive, positive spin on it. I'm going to do a live show with Moise Shabbos. <laughs> What's Moise Shabbos? I don't know. Later. <laughs> After I finish off here. <laughs> Anyhow, let's, can we, let's, I just want, I would like to finish the Peric because, because, because after this we have a break a couple of weeks. I want to finish off the end of the Peric. So let's, let's um, go here on the top line of Yudah. And here he says something very, very important. I want to give you the introduction, then we're going to read it quickly. And it goes like this. In this world, really, as far from a Tanya perspective, there's three forms of energy. One form of energy is Kedusha, holiness. What's energized by holiness? Thoughts? A neshama, a soul, a godly soul, a mitzvah, Torah, holiness. Straight out holiness. Then there is energy too, which is called klipa. But klipa is split down the middle. There's two types of klipa. Very, very important. One klipa, and again, klipa is always a name for that which is impure and unholy. One type of klipa is what in, in Kabbalistic terminology and Tanya terminology is called shalosh klipas hatmeus. The three negative klipas. What, what are they? Oops. For sure. The three negative klipas means klipa that's bad. It's bad, it's forbidden, it's... it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> Did we just cancel a whole no, city or no, something? Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry Harley. <laughs> we had, we've had children, boys in Arma Sifta, some of the most chassidish boys I've ever seen come straight out of Las Vegas. And I'm not kidding. I'm talking about boys that are way beyond your regular Chicago or Crown Heights boy. Like... Chassidish, learning, davening, and like... Well, they grew up in the desert. <laughs> they grew up in Las Vegas. Whatever Las Vegas is. I, I've never been there. I've never been there, but I haven't heard it known to be a place conducive for Yiddishkeit and holiness. But that's... I've seen some products that are as holy as they come. Be that as it may. So there is Kedusha. There is Klipa, which is bad Klipa. Which is off... What's it called? Uh, Off-bound, out-of-bounds Klipa. Averis. And then there is what's called klipas noiga. Ten points. What does that mean, klipas noiga? It's tangible, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Not- klipas noiga is the entire middle, which is unholy, but it's not forbidden. What is it? It's everything. Luminescent. It's food. It's drink. It's sleep. It's everything. Everything that we do that's not a mitzvah and it's not an avera. So what is that energy? Holy energy or unholy energy? Unholy. It could be either or, It's right? energy that's up to us. Are we going to take it down or are we going to take it up? And that's the majority of life. The majority of life is energy that's like Plato. What are you going to do with it? You're eating. You could eat like, just like, like an animal eats, like with no meaning and no anything, just to fulfill my desire of gratification. Or you could eat as a meaningful person. Again, not like we said before, L'shem mitzvahs this. But I'm eating to be healthy, to be productive, to, be, to have a meaningful life. And then I took this up. 
So, so okay. a second. I'm, I'm sorry. You, I remember your last name and I your first name. Yaakov, no, Yaakov is your father. You are. Now I'm the interrupter. No, no, no. Moshe. Moshe. Yeah, Moshe. Moshe. Okay. Just give me a minute. I just, I just want to read it and then we'll go. I want to hear all your questions. Oh my God. So far, you haven't asked a bad question. Maybe we'll get one soon. <laughs> first line. Ella. The klipes are divided into two levels, one beneath the other. The lowest level, he shalish klipes atmeis virois legamri vein behem toiv klal. These are just the, the evil klipes, the ones that are bad, and we cannot elevate them. Vinikru bemrekevas yecheskel, they're called. In the chariot of the Novi Yecheskel, who had this uh, vision, he calls them Ruach Sa'ara V'onon Godel, this great uh, wind and, uh, I don't know, cloud. cloud. Yeah, right, thank you. From this negative level, Klippa comes, Nafshis Kal Umusev Digalulim, the idol worshippers, Vikim Gufam, even their bodies, Vinafshis Kal Bali Chaim Atmeim Vasurim Ba'achila, the forbidden foods, the forbidden animals, Vikim Gufam. And their existence. Any tray foods that come from Tzumech, that which grows. Torah to trivia question. What grows treif? What grows treif? Jonathan. Yes. Tell me something that grows from the ground that's treif. Oh. Hmm. Interesting. Kidneys? Oh, I'm pissed Kilaim, that's what I mean. Wrong. Kilaim, really? you're allowed to eat. You're not allowed to plant it, grow it, but you're allowed to eat it once it's there. Oh, that's why... Heroin? Why is heroin free? Kilaim is when you mix two different seeds that you're not allowed to put together. It's called... What's it called again? Don't say it. No, that's animals. Don't say it. Okay, two points for who gets the answer to this. What's something that grows that you're not allowed to eat? It's trafe. What? Arla. There we go. Two points. He was controlling himself. Who's tallying up the points? So Arla, the first three years when something grows, you're not allowed to eat it. That's true. I'll tell. No, no. Everywhere. The first three years of fruits is is true. And you said kilayim, and I said you were wrong, but you're really right in one circumstance. If the kilayim includes vines. There, the, that if you mix a vine together with another fruit, that becomes unkosher What about yeah. bikurim also? Uh, well, yeah, any of that stuff. What, bikurim you, can tra- you can transfer, you can... Um, no, no, no. Tra- bikurim, you have to bring, give it to the coin, but then the coin needs it. Oh, okay, it's just tray. It's, it's, like, like, it's not it's tray. tray. Is oh. it like chazer tray? It's just tray. It's tray. What, what? Like it's tray. Yeah. And, uh, it's tray. It's not kosher. You're not allowed to eat it. You're not allowed to eat it. Arles is from the, like before the fourth year. For the first three years, right? So you plant a tree. Please show up. Wait a second. You say, how true is it? It's like almost. One second. Ukemeshikosa beats Chaim, Sharmam, Tasper, Gvod, like they read all rights. Vachin, Kiyim, Vachai is called Hamaisid, Diburu Machshava. And the same is with the fulfillment and the energy of every act. Speech and thought shall call shasalusevanafan that come from any of the three hundred and sixty-five negative commandments and their branches, Kmeshikosha Sam Sepirike, as the result describes there in the end of the fifth chapter. All of this is Gimel Klipas at Anything that's trait, anything that's an Avera, any act that's an Avera, any word that's an Avera, this is the three negative clipas. Chapter seven, which will start next after Pesach God willing, starts describing what we deal with much more, which is klipas nola, which is everything that's that's okay, it's permissible, it's kosher. Most things are kosher. 
And sometimes we, we get, we, we think that like most things are not kosher. It's not true. Most things are okay. It's, it, you know, certain things are trade. Most foods are kosher. Most activities are kosher. Most behaviors, most things that most people do most of the time are permissible. It's just a question, am I going to make them godly or not? And that's where, as I said this already tonight more than once, the majority of our life lies there. The majority of our life lies in the rest. Not the mitzvahs, not the averas, but the rest, the normal daily behaviors. of Whether it's working, eating, sleeping, having a good time, socializing, whatever. Being a parent, being a spouse, that's regular life. And that's up to me, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to draw it up into holiness, into that framework of a holy, meaningful life? Or is it just going to be like, I mean, animals do it too. Exactly the same thing. Is it going to be in that way or not? With that, we complete chapter 6. And, um, and again, as I said, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, continue after Pesach and Mirza Hashem. What's the, what's the shalosh? You, you live here in town? Um, yeah. No, because uh, you haven't been to our class before. No, I was just heard about it today. Good.